Well, welcome, brethren, to another Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, this book of Isaiah has been a, a wonderful book for us to study together. And what we want to do is make sure that we are studying line upon line. And so we have actually gone through the entire book, 66 chapters. Very big book. Uh, Isaiah is one of the major prophets. He's considered the head prophet uh, in, the, in the Hebrew Bible. And we've gone through it line upon line. Uh, no new content tonight. Hopefully you have some comments or some questions that you'd like to make. Uh, we will be monitoring the chat. And I say we, because I have my co-pastor, Murray Palmatier, uh, joining us. Pastor Murray, are you there? I am. Good evening. How are you? Good, good. Great to see you. Welcome. So uh, welcome to tonight's Q&A. Uh, why don't I just say a quick prayer and then we can uh, talk together and interact with the audience in terms of any comments or questions they may have. I know that uh, when we do these live Q&As, often the questions are kind of slow to roll in, so we'll try to be patient. But you know, if there's not a lot of questions, there aren't a lot of questions, and we'll, we might have a, a short evening. I'll, I'll say a word of prayer, and then we can, we can begin. Our loving Heavenly Father, we bow before your holy throne, your throne of majesty, your throne of mercy. Uh, we want to give you thanks, Lord, this truly is a chaotic and a very evil world, a world that's uh, giving itself over to dark forces. And in all of this, Father, uh, there but for your grace do we go, because we could easily fall victim to this darkness. But by your grace, by the sacrifice of Christ, your Son, our Savior, we are able to walk in light, the light of your word, which we thank you so much for this book of wonderful book of Isaiah. Uh, we've gone through it patiently, Father. We thank you for this uh, mercy that we would have uh, a desire to understand this book. We praise you, Father. We pray that you'll bless tonight's uh, fellowship and conversation and discussion around the book. And we pray, Father, that you'll continue to bless us and deepen our understanding of your will and your word and that you would help us to conform our minds to the mind of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So let me bring Pastor Murray back up. <clears throat> and uh, so first of all, Pastor Murray, maybe I'll just ask you, uh, as we wait for some questions or comments to roll in, and I think we actually did have a comment, so maybe you'll be able to share that one with us. Mm -hmm. um, just your thoughts, comments, uh, any maybe insights that you have around the book of Isaiah, this wonderful prophet. Yeah, it was uh, certainly um, uh, a long study. Uh, I believe we started back at the beginning of October, right after the feast in 2018. Uh, obviously took some time in between uh, with uh, some other, other books. Um, we had started, uh, the, it was interesting to me the, that uh, you had started with the second Isaiah. And um, again, as, as we recap, um, the book is is divided into two parts, one through thirty nine, and then forty through sixty six, which, as you uh, discussed many times, uh, it's really a mirror of the of the scriptures. Sixty six books in in the Bible, thirty nine in the Old, uh, twenty seven in the New, and really is is uh, a a microcosm of the scriptures as a whole, which is why uh, in your introductory comments tonight you mentioned that he's the chief prophet. Um, a couple of other items that uh, come to mind as we as we just sort of begin tonight is uh, uh, 
everything comes through. Uh, sorry, I just got a message here that, that CGI Church Online isn't isn't allowing anyone to post comments there. Oh wow! Um, um, so I'm not sure what's going on there, um, but uh, one of uh, uh, JD uh, had put a comment in there, but uh, sent a Slack message about that. Okay, so hopefully, uh, if you go to CGI Church Online, you can pop over to Facebook or to YouTube and post your comments or questions there. Uh, thanks, Pastor Murray. So you were saying there that, uh, first of all, the division of the book, that it really is a, a mini Bible. And um, and then you were just about to say something else. Yeah, so in addition to him being the chief prophet, I found one item that uh, comes to mind that was uh, really impactful for me was uh, everything drives, he drives off of Moses in Deuteronomy. And a lot of what uh, uh, he takes is he just takes what Moses prophesied and expands upon that. Right on. Uh, First for Israel in the, the pre-exile days, then into Judah, and then obviously moving forward in the, the second Isaiah, pointing to the, the true uh, Messiah, which was uh, Jesus Christ. That's a great uh, comment. I think that a lot of us, or a lot of uh, pastors, a lot of uh, Christian movements get into trouble with prophecy when they try to make it say what it's not saying. And I think the way that we can remain true to what the prophets are teaching is to ground ourselves in the Torah, because the Torah is the foundation, and, and the prophets that are coming along are simply amplifying what Moses laid down in Torah. So I think that's a, a great reminder. And then when we get it, you know, we get into a book like Revelation, if we don't have any foundation in Torah or the prophets, then we get into the book of Revelation, and without any foundation, we can make that book mean all kinds of weird and wacky things. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we don't even have to wait as long as Revelation. We can uh, we can get off on a tangent in Isaiah 2, which I, I recall we, we, we talked about uh, when we were at the beginning of the first half of Isaiah. And then obviously, uh, uh, more so during the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, we, we've talked about that. And Isaiah 2 mirrors with Micah 2, which is obviously them being contemporaries. And uh, you have gone through that during the Micah study as well. Right on. Very, very good. Um, you had mentioned, I think, that we did get one question or comment, um, and I wonder if that if you can share that. In the meantime, I'll just go ahead and check and see what we have in the chat. Yeah, so as you're doing that, I, I will. Uh, the comment came from a sister in the United States, and uh, she makes the following statement, uh, that she was studying the mark of the beast, and it says that whoever has the mark of the beast receives the wrath of God, and those who overcome the beast, uh, specifically the 144,000, are with Christ. Uh, she continues to say that it's important, and Revelation says, come out of her, my people, that you receive not her plagues. Um, and then she uh, references the false Babylon uh, system, Sunday and pagan false man-made holidays uh, in, in connection to the mark of the beast, and then asks if we could have a Bible study on this topic. Great. So uh, I think you actually began this this series that we're going through right now in our Sabbath services. Maybe you could just comment on that. Yeah, so um, we, on October 30th, the Sabbath of October 30th, uh, I had a message entitled The Battle for Our Devotion. And uh, in that sermon, uh, um, the, the gist of the sermon was too often the, the battle is, is portrayed as a battle between God, or sorry, between God and Satan. Mm -hmm. and, and 
and that and that's the battle. But really, the battle that Satan puts before us isn't whether we choose him or Satan; it's whether we choose God or ourselves. Um, it it uh, who who would choose the, apart from the very few that depraved? Yeah, who would choose to who would choose to worship Satan? Uh, but as human beings, it's much easier to uh, choose to serve ourselves. And right. we walk through a few biblical examples there. We ended the sermon by by talking about the reason why it's so important is when it comes time to understand the mark of the beast. And as we work up to the mark of the beast, um, it is all about the choosing choosing God versus choosing to satisfy our own desires wants. And that really allowed you to uh, kick off a, a two-part, at least a two-part. We had part one last week. You're going to continue with part two this week. Right on. So so hopefully um, the sister who raised that, that question or comment could join us uh, this Sabbath. And if you did miss uh, Pastor Murray's sermon, um, you know, what was that? Uh, the battle for our devotion. Uh, so Correct. And then, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, yeah. And then yours was uh, heads up. Heads up. Yeah. Part one. So look up the battle of the battle for your devotion and then uh, heads up. And then we'll have heads up part two this Sabbath, which is going to focus uh, primarily on the mark of the beast. So that will be great. And just, again, very subtle. Uh, but what the, the point of the battle for our devotion, as Pastor Murray was saying, is it's not this battle between God and Satan. Satan is not so foolish as to say, hey, worship me instead of God. I'm, I'm evil. Uh, instead, what he does is he pretends he's not there. And he presents this choice, very subtle, between God or ourselves. And the way the brain is wired, we tend to prioritize ourselves. So if you can watch that, the battle for our devotion, and then I continue, actually Pastor Murray ended hinting at or pointing to the mark of the beast. And then I pick that up with heads up and I'll continue, God willing, this Sabbath. I want to just go to the chat, uh, Pastor Murray. We did have a lot of hellos. Yeah, we do, we do have a couple. Uh, and I can I, just I show you a couple here. in there already. Yeah, okay. go ahead. So I see one, the first one that I see here is by our brother, Alan Wolfkill. And he says, would you please speak more on Isaiah 61 and verse 2? And I'll just go ahead and put that up. And then also, who is Melchizedek? So Isaiah 61 and verse 2, well, verses 1 and 2, he says here, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And this is the passage that Christ actually read when the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. And he began his ministry with this passage. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good things to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. So he just wanted us uh, to comment particularly on 61 verse 2. Did you want to comment on that, uh, Pastor Murray? Did you want me to comment? I can kick it off and then uh, um, you can uh, jump in. Uh, what's interesting is when you go to Luke and you see the example of Christ reading from the scroll of Isaiah, that he ends uh, with to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It doesn't continue. And uh, what we talked about both in Luke and then when you were in second Isaiah is really this really points to the two parts of his ministry. Um, when he came initially as a lamb to do all of those positive, uh, all of those seemingly what we would call positive, uh, uplifting things that he did. 
Um, and when he comes, when he returns, he's going to return uh, due to all of the sin that is in the world by his people and, uh, and will come more as a lion rather than as a lamb full of wrath as the lion of Judah. And uh, one item that you had pointed out that uh, maybe I can ask you to comment on is the, is the danger in misunder, misrepresenting which Christ came, uh, which, which characteristics of Christ came first and, who, and what characteristics of Christ are going to come and the, the danger that that, that that conveys. And we see that portrayed here uh, in Isaiah 61 with the full, the full explanation of who Christ was. And then in, in Luke 4, where he, uh, uh, Luke 3 or 4, where he um, uh, just initially just, just uh, skips over or omits or stops before the day of the vengeance of our God. Awesome. And, and thank you so much for pointing us back to Luke 4. I think we really cannot comment on Isaiah 61 and verse 2 without going back to Luke 4 and, and seeing how Christ himself handled this passage. And in terms of, yes, the, the potential for us to be misdirected or perhaps as, as elders or teachers to misdirect by, by just presenting this image of Christ as the Lamb. So he came as the Lamb of God and, and very peaceful and, and self-sacrificial. And that's Christ. That is truly Christ. But if that's all we present to the brethren, we're in danger of misleading the brethren. In fact, many brethren, when they hear of the destruction that Christ is bringing to this earth, they don't recognize Christ. They don't know who this is. They've, they've, they're, not, they're, they're not acquainted with this Christ. So Christ is as severe as he is merciful. And he came as that merciful Lamb of God to redeem Israel and through Israel all mankind. But he's returning as the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. And in the same way that the Jews, they were looking for the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah to restore uh, justice to Israel and put down Israel's enemies. That's who they were looking for based on prophecy. So when the lamb came, they didn't recognize him. They didn't know who, who is this? This is not who we're looking for. And I think we're in danger of the same challenge, but in reverse, that we are now looking for the lamb when it's the conquering lion who's returning. And, and, and many Christians, unfortunately, do not have the fear of God that we should have. We take God for granted. We're complacent. We think he's going to forgive everything. When in fact, when we read prophecy carefully, he's coming to crush. And we need this Passover. We need when he returns, his wrath passes over us. And, and this is critical. And here as well, this day of vengeance that he's bringing and this comfort that he's bringing this goes right into the earlier comment around the mark of the beast. That as we study the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation, repeatedly, at least twice, we see the John speaking of the patience of the saints. The reason the saints can be patient and get through this terrible time of tribulation, this very dark hour, the reason the saints can get through this is we understand the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah is coming and he's coming to destroy. He's, those who kill with the sword are going to be killed with the sword. And it's this understanding of the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah coming in wrath. This is where the patience comes from. We, we can get through the beast because we realize, okay, do your worst. Christ is coming. 
So, so very, very, very good. Appreciate that. Um, there's another comment here. Are you good with that one, um, Pastor Murray? Yeah, yeah. Just a one quick comment that it certainly uh, certainly adds another layer to the the uh, gospel uh, passage that talks about Christ's warning that many will come in His name, saying He is the Christ, and will deceive many. Um, incredible, incre incredible how how the preaching of Christ could be deceptive. Wow, and it's it's not that we're preaching Christ in a completely, totally, uh, deliberately deceptive way. It's we think what we're doing is right, but we're missing all these scriptures mm. that point to who's returning. And again, all of this mercy that we preach, it's all true. Simultaneously, so is his severity. He is as severe as he is merciful. And we need to present the whole character of Christ. And, and this evil that we see in this world, he is wrathful. Very, very good. A longer comment here. And let me just uh, stop sharing the scripture. And this one says, um, thank you so much for this study. I'd ask for more commentary regarding the duality of application. For example, chapter one is regarding vision for Judah. However, seems to apply to us now as nations and individuals. And that's from our brother, uh, Jeffrey Flanick. So thanks very much, uh, Brother Jeffrey, uh, for your question, but also for your support. Uh, you're just constantly there, uh, fully engaged and very supportive, and we really appreciate you. So um, here is a question, Pastor Murray, about duality of application, that there's a sort of a, an immediate local application, but there's also a longer term maybe even broader application. Yeah, just uh, quickly, and then I'll get offer you to comment um, first. Uh, but uh, um, I think that's where the line upon line comes in and it allows us uh, um, understanding that we can't take anything out of context or just pick and choose versus um, understanding that prophecy can be dual. Uh, it can be applicable. It can be already fulfilled prophecy. It can be prophecy to come, or it could be both and could have, could have a dual application as our brother Jeffrey uh, makes a comment there. I, I think really, uh, and that's one thing that um, has developed over the three years since we started Isaiah is the, the concept of line upon line has now turned into uh, a, 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 an academy that, that these studies have, have gone through. So just just high level first before I, ask, you know, before I uh, offer you to comment, it is really it's the, the importance of, of understanding everything in context so that we can understand when it is dual, when it is not, and why it's important. Right on. Very, very good. And I think when we, have we as we have studied Isaiah, uh, his language is often an indication that this is not just about a local application. So he's talking about a local situation, and then suddenly he's talking in these grandiose terms that are clearly end time and clearly messianic mm -hmm. and clearly a, a final solution to, to the world's evil and to, to Judah and Israel's evil. So it's, it's obvious that although there's an immediate application, let's say Nebuchadnezzar, that no, this is, this is broader. There's obviously another uh, future broader application. In terms of chapter one, where clearly this is a, a vision that he received regarding Judah and Jerusalem. But even in chapter one, he speaks of all Israel. And, and throughout the scroll, there are, there are prophecies regarding Israel, not just Judah. So there, there is that. And then there's also the fact that Judah has been dispersed. And if you look at a, a powerful nation like America, 
there's actually a lot of Jews who are in leadership roles. As, as Jews have been dispersed, whatever nation they go to, uh, I think because of their emphasis on, on education, on work ethic, on supporting one another, they can start at the bottom. And everybody can complain about oppression and how terrible the nation is. They can start at the bottom. And within two decades, they're at the top. And so they come to America at the bottom. And within a few decades, they're in the seats of power, the corridors of power. And so a lot of the policies and a lot of the decisions that America is making, uh, the, the curses that America is bringing upon herself are not just Israelite curses. Many of them are curses that apply specifically to Judah because Judah is actually heading many of these, many of these nations. So I think that's a, a way that we can be understanding. Again, to, to Murray's point, let's read line upon line uh, through the context. Is this local? Is it, is it um, further on? Is it broader? Future? Is it both? Is it Israel? Is it Judah exclusively? Is it exclusively Jerusalem? We just have to have this uh, line upon line analysis. Very, very good. Thank you. Uh, something here, Pastor Murray. That sermon was eye-opening. Gave me a lot to think about my own struggles. That's from Sister Velma, also another very strong supporter. Very, very eye-opening. So thank you for that. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to comment more on that, Pastor Murray. No, no, just, uh, you know, it's, it's um, we've commented often about, in especially in the Q&As, when we get a chance to interact about how much we've appreciated developing uh, an online congregation. Uh, yes. We're certainly blessed by our own congregation, but uh, the opportunity for us to have an online congregation has uh, certainly been a blessing. And, and uh, watching the names, they're, they're regular names that we can <laughs> right. uh Getting to know, getting to know very well now. So yeah. very good. And again, just to emphasize this point for all of our brethren who are listening here, Satan is not going to come to you and say, "I'm evil. Bow down and worship me." He's going to approach us the way he approached Eve. Mm -hmm. You're really important. You're really special. You just need to be more special, and and that's how he seduces us. And it's amazing. It's uh, this is uh, it's actually quite frightening how easily Christians can be seduced. And as times get uh, tougher, as we go through the book of Revelation, uh, which is, uh, which we've already done, it's in the archives, uh, and, we, and we anticipate what is coming down the line, and we see what's going on all around us, you know, the, the four years of the previous administration, the 10 months, 11 months of, of disastrous months that we've all uh, witnessed, and how, uh, how uh, much more severe it could yet be the, the resisting the urge to satisfy ourselves right for present comfort for present comfort is going to be yeah. is going to, going to be the challenge and it's just so easy it is just it's mm -hmm. so it's like really is that how easy it is to make christians fall uh so we've got to be we've got to be really cognizant of this very good and on the sound sabbath in your in your part one uh you you spent uh, the bulk of, of part one talking about a concept called rationalization and how um, how our preferred behavior uh, can push us towards altering our belief systems so that we feel just justified in, in in behaving in such a way that previously we would we would have avoided right on even to the point where we are abusing our brethren in Christ and we justify it well, this is why. Uh, and Christ is not going to tolerate that. And your point about Revelation as well, it's in the archive. And I think there's good, helpful content there. But the blessing 
is upon those who keep reading. It's not that we read it once and put it down. We have to keep reading it because as the world around us changes, we're going to have better understanding of these prophecies, many of which we don't fully understand today. So that, that's really great. Yeah, and just before we leave that, um, um, as we're watching the world around us and, and laws change and, and being forced into certain behaviors, um, again, the, 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 this whole concept of Satan presenting our own interests and our own preservation as, as, as the, the key, uh, we see uh, the, a couple of the key concepts that the world that the society is pushing is is uh, environmentalism, so trying to per, uh, save the earth, and yeah. uh, as well is is the the vaccination and the whole health issues yeah. that we're going through right now. Yeah. So, yeah, right on. Just be, just before we move on, we did miss a question from Al, okay. half of a, the back half of, of uh, Brother Alan. Oh, Wolf, yeah, he did yeah, ask about you did ask about Melchizedek. Yeah, so I just yes, wanted to. Indeed remind us about that. Thank you very much. So that actually is in the archive. And so to make a long story short, but please uh, study uh, Hebrews. Uh, I believe that is going to be in chapter nine, I think it is in the book of Hebrews. Uh, but or is it am I right? Or is it in chapter? Uh, it, it was the part of nine, but it, it actually starts back around six, seven, and then all the way right. up to nine. So it's covered, right. it's covered yeah, in so a, quite, a, quite a, a few studies. Yeah, so, so if you can go through uh, that, um, our brother Alan, you'll appreciate that. We do deal with that uh, very in a very detailed way. Uh, long and short of it is, the Melchizedek priesthood belongs to Christ. And, and this is the priesthood that when he returns, he's going to uh, reestablish in the earth. So Melchizedek is Christ. Thank you for that, uh, Pastor Murray. Coming down to just a comment from our brother Reg. And he says, heads up while on your knees. Exactly right. And I think this as well, just this comment here, heads up while on your knees. Um, this is the antidote. This is the inoculation against this very thing that you warned us about in the battle for our devotion. That as long as we're on our knees and worshiping Christ, we're not going to put ourselves in front of Christ. And I'm very worried about this. You know, that those who are successful in this very dark hour that we're heading into, the scriptures say they loved not their lives unto the death. And I think that's exactly what you were pointing to in the battle for our devotion, that our devotion is to Christ. It's to the point where we're willing to give up our lives to ensure that Christ is glorified, that the record is set straight, that he is the, the, the truth, the life and the way. And all of this blasphemy that's coming out of the Antichrist or the Antichrist, we don't go along with it on pain of death. Uh, and I think it's the exact opposite of putting ourselves first. It's, it's putting Christ first. So, yeah, so very, very good. There is a, a comment here from another comment question from Sister Velma. Can you explain what it means to spend your money for that which is not bread? This is Isaiah 55 and verse 2. Let me quickly bring up the scripture. That's uh, 55 and verse 2. I might suggest one. as you're bringing it up, start with verse 1, um, verse just to get okay. the full context. Great. Let's go to verse 1, where it says, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come you to the waters. And you that have no money, come you, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money, and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread, 
and your labor for that which satisfies not. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat you that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. And let me just hear one more verse. Incline your ear and come unto me here, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And here, uh, so the question is, why are you spending your money for that which is not bread? So bread obviously being the, the staff of life, what, what is going to uh, support life. And for some reason, what these uh, covenant, the covenant community is doing here, taking their money, spending it on something that actually is not going to support life. This will certainly be in the archive. I'm not sure, uh, Pastor Moore, if you wanted to just comment further on this. Yeah, I think it, uh, um, it obviously go back into the archives, uh, but um, really falls into, you know, hinting at what we were just talking about, about what is most important. And, and um, the, the, uh, the, the physical uh, bread is, is secondary. Obviously, we need, we need uh, bread uh, and, and physical sustenance to live. But um, this, again, the second Isaiah pointing to Christ, uh, we can go into John and, and, and re recall that Christ is the bread of life and come to him uh, for the living water. So he is the true sustenance. And, and that's, where, that's where our focus and devotion should be. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Christ in, in the gospel account in Matthew 7, 6 or 7, uh, talks about not being, not, uh, cannot serve God and man. And mammon is is the is the physical desires that we that we um, that we focus on, and that's really that falls right off of uh, on the tail of uh, storing up our treasure in heaven. And he says that this is reinforced actually, I think, by verse three. What you're saying, incline your ear and come unto me. Here, your soul shall live, mm -hmm. and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Uh, excellent. Uh, so thank you, Sister Velma. Uh, Buckshot here. Let's see what our brother Buckshot says. What do you think of the books of Enoch? Jo I think J.W. Just wish wishing, you, maybe? Just wishing just, you would do something on that. So what do I think of the book of Enoch? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I think, and then Pastor Murray, if you can comment. So uh, it's not uh, in the canon, so it's a great question by uh, Buckshot. Uh, it's not in the canon, so it's not um, wholly inspired scripture. But it is text that is part of the historical record. So I think there, there's, gonna, there's helpful content in the book of Enoch. And I, I can't think of the scripture off the top of my head. It might be in Jude, where uh, the apostles actually point to the, this writing. So it's not something we can just completely dismiss. At the same time, we need to be sensitive to where it contradicts inspired scripture. So we don't treat it, we don't hold it on the same level of scripture, but neither do we completely dismiss it, especially if the apostles are clearly uh, speaking of it and, uh, and addressing it. Your thoughts? Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I completely agree with, with that sentiment. Um, you know, it falls in line with some of the other historical books that have fallen, that were not part of the canon, like uh, the Maccabees, that there are some uh, historical uh, um uh, right. points in there that 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 really help uh, uh, us understand some things but we it, they're not scriptural and right. that's um you know um and the the other point too and i haven't done a whole lot of study on this part but uh, i do recall uh that the the book of enoch that the apostles were referring to may or may not be the exact form of what we right. have now in the 
in the Catholic Bible or what is the, the Apocrypha. Yeah, so those, so those books, there's some helpful content there, but when it's contradicting scripture, we know that uh, we go by scripture. I remember as a young man, uh, when I was just coming to understand God, uh, I, I could read Proverbs, the Proverbs made sense, I could read Psalms, and also I got uh, the wisdom of Sirach. I really enjoyed the wisdom of Sirach. There's a lot of uh, wisdom, proverbial wisdom there, but later I came to understand this is not wholly inspired scripture, although it is helpful. And I think the Book of Enoch is in the same category. Here we see a comment from our brother John in Duca. It will interest you to hear that the whole Vatican project is like dung, and he is coming to destroy the vomit. Uh, absolutely. This is this, uh, this religious influence that is spread all over the world. And uh, clearly, it is uh, evil and antichrist. And I think anybody, even the Catholics now, are beginning to see their own pope yeah, is a traitor to, to scripture and to the understanding of the Bible. Very, very good. Uh, let me just see. There, uh, Pastor Murray, if you can check uh, Church Online and see if there is anything coming through there. Uh, and yeah, no, there, there is nothing. Nothing there. Uh, here's uh, our sister Belinda. Where are we now with Israel attacking Syria? Uh, so I guess, where are we prophetically with the fact that Israel is uh, striking out at Syria? Uh, what we know is that the next thing, what we need to be looking for, and I really appreciate this question, because often we can get so uh, caught up. Sorry, that was just a greeting from Sister Vida. We'll go through the greetings afterwards. Uh, so thank you. Actually, there is a question there too, so I'll go back to that. Uh, so uh, where are we now with Israel attacking Syria? Uh, so yes, I appreciate the question because Christ told us when he was on earth, watch Jerusalem. And, and I think through the decades, certainly the time that I've been in the church, there's been more attention and focus on North America, specifically America, than there has been on Jerusalem. When, when Christ did not say, watch America, he said, watch Jerusalem. So the fact that we now see uh, Israel engaging in you know, increasing levels of hostilities and we see nations supporting Israel's enemies and a growing anti-Semitism, things are heating up. And, and what we're looking for is armies surrounding Jerusalem, and that's going to give way to the abomination that makes desolate. So, uh, you know, we can't set dates. We can't say, okay, this is happening, and now, you know, to watch out tomorrow. But we, we keep our eyes on this. And certainly hosti hostilities are intensifying in the Middle East and specifically uh, against Jerusalem. And to that point, just real quickly, uh, back in uh, uh, Isaiah 6, uh, um, when Isaiah volunteered to be the one that God sent uh, and asked that question about how long, uh, it points to that uh, abomination of desolation that he must, uh, he and therefore those who follow him in his, in his uh, uh, Isaiah-like work uh, must continue until until those times of desolation. And, and I think this whole um, pandemic and the vaccination uh, rollout, which is really, um, I would say, designed by socialists, and it's a socialist agenda, and socialists are fundamentally atheists. They don't believe in God. And so everything they do, they, they never consider God. And to think that Israel, the nation we call Israel today, is so immersed in this vaccine rollout to, to force their whole population to be vaccinated, it, it, it speaks to a, a spirit and an attitude 
of independence from God, that they are, they are really adopting this atheistic way of solving problems. And so that, I think, shows us the kind of attitude that's going to go into to combat with the enemies around. And God, Christ wants to take Judah to this place where they finally admit nothing and no one can help them except their Messiah. We see a question here from our sister Vida from Ghana. Greetings, sister Vida. Is the present Israel nation the true Jewish state? And I think part of this question, at least I'm interpreting part of this question, I could be incorrect, but certainly as a black man, I've come across my share of other black men who have tried to convince me that we are the true Jews and that the Jews that are in the nation of Israel today are false Jews and, and they have usurped our identity. I don't know if that's where the question is coming from, but I've certainly heard my fair share of that. Uh, regardless, uh, if the people who are in the nation of that we call Israel today, the, uh, this tribe of Judah, and specifically occupying Jerusalem, if they are fake Jews, if they're not the real Jews, then there's a whole bunch of things that have to happen really quickly. Let's just say, for example, that the black race is the true tribe of Judah. Well, what we need to do now is we need to hot foot it over to Jerusalem. We need to set up a government over in Jerusalem. We need to then have hostility from all the nations surrounding, and we need to turn our back on God and rely on atheistic measures so that God can take us into this pit of misery and suffering so that it drives us to repentance. So as I say, if, if the people who are not there now, or sorry, if the people who are there now are not true Jews, there's, there's some fast correction that has to take place in terms of establishing a, a nation uh, so that Christ has someone to punish severely and then to rescue. I don't know, Pastor Murphy, if you wanted to comment on this as well. Yeah, no, um, I don't really have anything to add to, to your comments. I certainly, uh, you know, what we've studied in Isaiah supports that. And uh, I, I agree with what you're saying. Now, that's not to say there's no such thing as black Jews. You know, just the fact that Solomon slept with so many women and spread his seed everywhere then the, mm. the descendants of Judah can be everywhere and can be in every race. But to say that the people in Judah today, in, in Israel today, are fake Jews, well, there's just a lot of miraculous things that will have to happen very, very quickly so that that nation can come under the severe punishment of Christ and then the redemption of Christ. Thanks very much for the question. Uh, so let's see... Here we see a comment, so true, Pastor, that's how Jesus recognized him through Peter wanting to die for him. Uh, that's from Sister Sophia. I think we, you or I must have made a comment that that relates to, uh, so thank you for that. Uh, here is a Sister Belinda, when do you think the third temple will be built? So the kind of the assumption there is that there will be a physical third temple that will be built if we look at the prophecies in Ezekiel. And so if we accept that there will be a physical third temple, then when do we think that will be built? Personally, I believe there will be a physical third temple, that there are many prophecies that cannot be properly fulfilled unless there is a third temple. When will it be built? I, I don't know, but I believe that something's gonna happen politically where the answer is, 
let the Jews build their temple. So I don't know, um, Pastor Moore, if you have a, an opinion on this. Yeah, uh, um, I think just in a reaction to the question, I, I, I agree with the, the with uh, your comments that it certainly uh, looks like there will be one built. Uh, the when I think is 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 out of our above our pay grade, and that which shouldn't really be something that we are focused on, other than to continue to watch and watch as as world events unfold, understand understand the the Torah, and then understand prophets like Isaiah and all of those who flow through Isaiah. That we can we can uh, follow the timeline and see God fulfilling fulfilling those things. Very very good. Uh, question here that we've seen versions of this question several times come up in our worship service. Uh, this is from Clinton. Someone please help me feed my kids. Please, they have gone without food from yesterday until now. I have no hope of what to feed them. I'm really begging. My PayPal account is, and there's a PayPal account. Okay. I want to address this with as much compassion as I can. And, and this situation of not being able to eat, having difficulty feeding kids, it's something that is going to increase. More and more of us, as, as we see socialists have an agenda to destroy specifically the Western economies. And as they destroy the Western economies, those in third world or developing nations are going to suffer even more. So this is something that's going to become increasingly widespread. This is the power of congregations. This is why it's important to be a member of a congregation, that, that, that people can know who you are. And, and we in the Christian ethic do not believe in just handing out charity freely. That requests for charity must be evaluated. And people must demonstrate that they've done everything they can because the scriptures make it clear those who do not work should not eat. So, so as the male in the family, we have this moral obligation to do any work we can to feed our families. Now, when we fall short, rather than rely on state welfare, because once the state gives you welfare, they're going to, control, they're going to take control of you. So we should eschew welfare. We want nothing to do with the state if we can help it. Rather, there is something called charity, Christian charity. And if we're, if we're in a congregation and the brethren know us and know how hard we're working to find work, and, and then we're falling on hard times, the congregation can come together and provide support. So, so I'm very sorry, um, our brother Clinton, I don't know your situation. This could be totally sincere. It could be a complete scam. We don't know because we don't know you. And our heart goes out to you if this is a true situation, but we can't just put money in a PayPal account when there are so many scammers out there. And we don't know if we will be violating the instruction that those who do not work should not eat. So, so I apologize for sounding perhaps harsh. We want to be as compassionate as we can, but that compassion is much easier when we know our brethren, that we are assembling together and we know that a brother has good work ethic and character and he's fallen or she's fallen on hard times and we can we can look after them so so i just want to say to our, yeah, our and uh, just be careful of these side of requests because people are getting ripped off all the time and those who do know uh this young this man uh, i was going to say young man i don't know who he is but if you do know him and you know his situation and you can help help should be local 
Yeah, yeah uh, very interesting comments that, that you make, and it uh, draws my mind to the passage um, in by Paul um, referencing uh, widows. And, uh, you know, throughout the scriptures, we look after the widows and the orphans. Uh, but Paul himself said if a widow was not productive during her productive years, uh, she should not receive any any charity from the church. So uh, even, even someone as uh, that we all look up to, like the Apostle Paul, uh, was was pretty adamant about that. And just in reference to uh, uh, Clinton's situation, uh, we do have uh, CGI does have a ministry in Africa uh, headed up by Robert Onsando and, and a bunch of folks there. So uh, that would be the local way to to uh, seek help, and, and that would offer uh, the African the African leadership an opportunity to vet that request. Very, very good. Excellent. So again, if you have trouble, you can reach out to uh, info at cgi.org and we can redirect your request to someone who's local who can better understand your situation. A comment here from Jeffrey Flanick. I'm always fascinated by Hezekiah asking for the dial of Ahaz to son going backward as opposed to forward. Similarly, Joshua's long day. Any archive studies, comments on these supernatural events? Um, so thanks for the question. I don't know if any studies where we've gone gone into it in depth, but I believe it was, if it wasn't last week, it was the week before where we did read this passage. And I believe it's in Second Kings, or it's in Kings where we get the more, the more detailed than what's in Isaiah, that God actually gave him the choice. And he said, well, going forward is easy, make it go backward. And so he made it go backward because he really wanted to be reassured that God really was uh, going to help him. Not sure, Pastor Murr, if you wanted to comment on this one as well. Yeah, no, it's, it, as, as you mentioned, it was, I believe it was last week, it was uh, the beginning of uh, Isaiah 38, and then you referenced back to Kings. And uh, just understanding it in context, that is where um, um, God through Isaiah told Hezekiah to set his house in order. Uh, uh, for he shall die and not live, and that's that's really the context there, and how God reveals Himself to Hezekiah, um, and then we see as we as you closed uh, the the study last week that uh, um, Hezekiah, who was a, a good king, and destroyed all of the the um, uh, images and 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 icons that that they worshipped. Uh, when he had that extra fifteen years, it was interesting. I know this isn't what uh, uh, Brother Jeffrey refers to, uh, but you, you, we finished off first Isaiah with that comment from uh, Hezekiah that uh, it was interesting to me that he said, you know, at least this bad stuff's not going to happen in my time. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, it's it's interesting. We've heard similar comments in uh, um, uh, that have bothered our young people uh, uh, today, where but where uh, older brethren have said, mm -hmm. well, you know. I, I'm, I'm so happy. I'm going to be in the grave and won't have to deal wow. with this stuff. And, and our young brethren have said, well, how does that make, yeah. uh, does that make us feel? So, um, uh, so th that's kind of the end of the Hezekiah story uh, uh, that uh, started last week. Very, very good. And, and then similarly, uh, Brother Jeffrey is referring to Joshua's long day. And again, I'm not aware of anything in the archive there. Might no. make for a fascinating study. Very good. Yeah, we did do Judges, but we haven't done uh, Joshua yet. Right. So. There is here from Brother Lee, Isaiah 26, 20 and 21 and 27, 1, our one paragraph in my Bible. Is this a tribulation or day of the Lord warning? So let us look up those verses. Isaiah 26, 20 
and 21 and 27 1 says come my people enter you into your chambers and shut your doors about you hide yourself as it were for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed for behold the lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity the earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain and i just want to increase the context here to see yeah so that's the last and then it goes straight into 27 verse 1. Uh, in that day the lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish leviathan the piercing serpent even leviathan that crooked serpent and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea and the question here is i'm not sure what version uh, brother lee is using but all of this is one paragraph in his bible and is this the tribulation or day of the lord warning okay so the distinction between tribulation and day of the lord uh, tribulation being the wrath of satan the day of the lord being the wrath of the lord and here if we begin in verse 20 he's saying come my people enter into your chambers and shut your doors around you hide yourself as it were for a moment until the indignation be overpassed and so this i think would be pointing to the indignation of the lord because the lord is coming out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity and the earth is going to disclose her blood this is quite what we were just talking about earlier this is jesus christ christ is severe and if we're worshiping christ we need to know all of his character not just the part that we like and that's convenient uh, so he's going to disclose the blood of the earth and, and the earth is no longer going to cover her slave and then the code word in that day so this is really clearly pointing to the end time and the fact that leviathan is referenced uh, an image for satan the piercing serpent that crooked serpent and and this overpower overwhelmingly powerful dragon is going to be slain so, so I would say this is pointing to the warning of the day of the Lord. The saints have to go through the tribulation and they love not their lives unto the death. And so, you know, to your point earlier as well, Pastor Murray, oh, I'm glad I won't be around to face this, but you will be around. Actually, for the saints who truly understand, we want to be around. We, we are going to, the Holy Spirit is going to empower us and infuse us with such uh, scriptural confidence that we will gladly give up our heads as long as the praise of Christ is on our lips and we can die praising Christ and glorifying him and they love not their lives to the death. And then this, this wrath of God, it will, it will, it'll pass over us, you know, blessed are they who die in the name of the Lord from this point forward. So either we will die and his, we will not face his wrath that way, or when his wrath is unleashed, we are not going to have to face his wrath, but we do have to go through the wrath of Satan and be faithful to the end. Did, do you want to comment on this one, Pastor Murray? Yeah, I'll just add that the, the companion uh, uh, scriptures here definitely point me to uh, the end of Revelation, Revelation 18, 19, 20, uh, that, that talk about that and the, the, the uh, um, putting away the, the end of Satan's, Satan's uh, rule and his influence. And then the, the, special, uh, the special place that the martyrs who died for Christ um, um, have uh, that John saw in Revelation 20 verse 4. Very, very good. Very good. Uh, question here on 
who will be the final beast to reign over the earth according to the book of Revelation. Uh, so thank you, Brother DeMario. Uh, why don't you join us this Sabbath? And this is something that I will comment on on the Sabbath. Uh, here is a comment from uh, Brother John Nduka. Jews are scattered all over the world, but there is also a synagogue of Satan. True, no, no uh, disagreement there. Another comment here. Yeshua himself is black. Uh-oh. Just, I would say, be careful. So be careful of human pride. And I don't know, I'm not saying this is the case here, but in my journey, I've seen people very passionate about this because it strokes their ego. They want Jesus to be black because they're black. It's not that I'm hearing white people say, hey, Jesus is black. I don't hear Chinese people saying Jesus is black. The people who are saying Jesus is black are black. And it's very important to them that their God is black. So let's be careful because the way the scriptures historically are, are written and we understand them, if Jesus was black in Palestine among the Jews, when they were trying to find him, go find the black guy. It'd be quite easy to spot. So uh, the Bible is a book about the Middle East. The theater is the Middle East. And all of these events take place in the Middle East. I would just be cautious about if we are black, enforcing our or, or enforcing interpretations that just happen conveniently to support our ego. Uh, and so let's be, be careful about that. Yeah, wise, wise advice for sure. And here is uh, Brother Allen. I have been in correspondence with Christians. And, and just by the way, in the Middle East, but as well, I'll say this. You don't have blonde-haired, blue-eyed people in the Middle East. So if I'm going to argue that Abraham had blonde hair and blue eyes, that's a very difficult argument to make. Because in the Middle East, we don't see, in the heart of the Middle East, anciently, we don't see blonde hair, blue eyes. So let's get rid of the human ego, and let's just accept the fact that there was a man called Abraham who pleased God, and God covenanted with him and with his descendants. And these descendants have spread over the world and there's been mutations and, and you know, different, uh, 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 how should I say, uh, adaptations and, and mixing with other races, but God follows the DNA. So there was a man called Abraham and there was a man on earth who was the Messiah, who descended through Judah and mixed with the Jews of the day. And it was hard to, understand, to, to identify him because he looked so much like all the other Jews of the day. So let's, uh, let's be careful there. Uh, Brother Allen comes back and says, I have been in correspondence with Christians who live in the Christian quarter of the city of Tyre, Lebanon. Could you share if Tyre is relevant to our future prophecy-wise? Uh, certainly Lebanon, all these cities in the, in the Middle East that are in the surrounding area, uh, do feature in prophecy. And that's again, where as we read the prophets, we come to understand the Bible is a book about the Middle East. So when we pose the question, how come America is not mentioned in the Bible? We can't conclude that, oh, it's not mentioned because actually it is mentioned. Really the real conclusion we need to come to is it's not mentioned because the, the, the focal point of the Bible is Jerusalem. And the theater that it concerns itself with is the promised land, is the Middle East. And, and Lebanon is certainly, if we study scripture, 
It's, it's going to be one of these nations that's going, to be, that's going to be punished by God because of its league with the surrounding nations to destroy Jerusalem. Not sure, Pastor Murray, if you wanted to comment on Lebanon and that there are Christians who are, who are, who are living there. Uh, just just a comment on your comment um, uh, that goes all the way back to and the importance of, of understanding um, uh, Deuteronomy and the Torah here. Uh, and the focal point uh, of Jerusalem is, is, as you stated, the fact that God has set aside special land for his people. And all the way back into Deuteronomy, he, he um, has that as a, a focal point. Uh, and as he gave that land to uh, his people that came out of Egypt, it now has become and continues to be the focal point, um, and uh, you know will will be likely the, the area uh, where New Jerusalem comes down. That's that's my opinion. Uh, but um, um, yeah, just just that, that's what I would uh, uh, tag on to your comments. Very very good, and I, I agree as well. Uh, comment here. Uh, so just a comment from our brother Robert who says, thank you brothers for doing these programs and sharing the truth. And thank you, Rob Brothers, for joining us each week. We find your presence and your following of these uh, studies and messages inspiring and, and encouraging. So, so thank you so much. Let's see, uh, our sister Belinda asks a question. What do we do when the Pope enacts Sunday worship only? Well, first of all, there's an assumption there that he will do that, that that's yet to be seen. Uh, in fact, what we do see is the Pope abandoning all uh, Catholic doctrine and in, in favor of environmentalism and, and one world religion where everybody can just do what they like as long as the environment is held sacred. So we need to see, first of all, that that may or may not happen. Uh, if it does happen, uh, what do we do? To your point, uh, Pastor Murray, your, your uh, sermon, The Battle for Our Devotion, we continue to be devoted to the Lord and, and we obey his commandments, no matter what. The, the, the Sunday, Sunday worship is gonna be certainly one. Uh, that's one way of turning us away from the commandments of God. The commandments of God go beyond the 10 commandments. And I'll actually be touching on this, God willing, on Sabbath. There are many commandments of God. Anytime God speaks in the imperative, that's a commandment. And, and, and certainly one of the key commandments he gives us is to love one another. And brethren, because of what Pastor Marie just brought out uh, two Sabbaths ago, in the battle for our devotion, Satan doesn't say, worship me. He says, prioritize yourself. And brethren prioritize themselves and then attack the body of Christ and persecute the body of Christ. And that is disobeying the commandment of God. And the beast, the purpose of the beast, is to make war with the saints. And so when you do not love the saints, when you persecute the saints, you are showing allegiance and that you're ready. You're ready to make allegiance with the beast. You're ready to be deceived and join forces with the beast because the purpose of the beast is to persecute the saints. And if already you're persecuting the saints, you're easy target, easy pickings to be recruited to support the beast. So let's not get into this uh, focus that, you know, uh, the mark of the beast is Sunday worship. And as long as I'm not worshiping on Sunday, I'm good. I can be gossiping, destroying the character of my brethren, physically persecuting them, uh, uh, tearing their reputation down, 
acting in all kinds of dysfunctional ways, but I don't worship on Sunday, so I'll be in the kingdom. No, you're violating the commandment of God, which is to love one another. So let's not just get caught up on one commandment. It is, it is the commandments, plural, of God. And I'm not sure, uh, Pastor Murray, if you wanted to um, comment on that. Yeah, um, just uh, adding on to what you've talked about, uh, what you just talked about, the importance, again, uh, this really calls to mind the importance of being part of a healthy congregation. Um, uh, loving, learning to love one another requires being in the presence of others and learning to love them. And, um, you know, not it, not everybody in a congregation, not everybody in a congregation is easy to love, but um, <laughs> probably provide you a list of, list of many people that would think I'm not easy to love. Yeah, put me on the uh, but uh, being, <laughs> being easy to love is 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 irrelevant. Uh, learning to love uh, the brethren is is the imperative, and uh, really understanding why it's always important to understand why, and it is really pointing to these difficult times that lie in the future uh, when we will need each other and uh, when when uh, Satan is acting and, and unleashing his his anger against the church, um, there are, you know, we, we've lived a pretty easy, we've had a really easy go here for the last uh, X, uh, X number of decades um, uh, in, in the church, but there are uh, examples from around the world of, of uh, groups of, of devout uh, followers that have gone underground that look after each other, um, and the, you know that really points to to being part of a healthy congregation um, and, and learning to love one another. Very very good. And here, just uh, John Nduka is making the statement that uh, Isaiah twenty seven one Elohim used this scroll to warn me about Roman Sunday worship. Yeah, very good because Roman the Roman Empire is Antichrist. The Roman Empire is one of the beasts mentioned in Revelation. So absolutely, we need to be aware of that. Uh, let's see here, the wrath. Yeah, very good. Um, and one comment here to Alan Wolfkill. If you understood the faith once, all delivered to the saints, you too would know the answer. That's how the apostles could condemn and predict false prophets. Okay, so comment there. I know there was a, a question that came in as well, uh, just recalling this now, around um, Hezekiah. And it was to do with last week when uh, Hezekiah was granted mercy. And you actually referred to it earlier. Um, and in that time of mercy, he made a, a drastic mistake. And that was to share everything with the Babylonians. And then when the wrath was pronounced, as you had mentioned, Pastor Murray, he said, well, at least it's not in my day. And the mm -hmm. question was, well, what's so wrong with him sharing what he had, how God had blessed him? Why was that so wrong to incur such uh, a significant uh, punishment or penalty? Um, so with that, um, I think it's really helpful so, so first of all, we know that God is true and God is right. And we also know from the passage that you had mentioned, Pastor Murray, that there is a flaw in Hezekiah's character. As, as special as he was, as one of the faithful kings of Judah and, and, and the reform that he put in place, he's still a human being. 
And I think Isaiah positions this story at the end of first Isaiah to show us that, no, this is not the Messiah. You really cannot count on human beings. We need to look beyond every human to the Messiah. But he went in and he showed everything to these visiting Babylonians. And for that, this severe judgment uh, came down upon him. And uh, I just did a search here, and uh, we'll just share 2 Kings 25. And uh, what we see here is, this is now when, when the prophecy is being fulfilled. And in the, in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, exactly as prophesied. And he burnt the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and every great man's house burnt he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem round about. Now the rest of the people that were left in the city and the fugitives that fell away to the king of Babylon with the remnant of the multitude did Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carry away. So what we see here and what I want to focus on is he burnt the house of the Lord. And I think this is really the answer or part of the answer to the question, why was it so wrong for Nebuchadnezzar to share how he was blessed with these visiting Babylonians? What's so wrong with that? Well, I think the whole theme through the book of Isaiah, first Isaiah, is who are you going to trust? And repeatedly, man turns to himself or man turns to other men. When Christ is right there saying, trust me, I'm your God, trust me. And here at the end, when these very uh, important dignitaries come from, from Babylon, as a king, Hezekiah, he's now wanting to form alliances. That's a, much of what kings do when they marry their daughters off to other nations. They're forming alliances. That's what Solomon was all about, with forming these alliances. And so clearly Hezekiah is, is flattered by these visiting dignitaries and wants to offer friendship and alliances to them, even to the point of sharing with them the, the treasure in the house of God, which is sacred, which has to do with holy worship. Probably there were Jews that hadn't even seen these treasures. And, and he showed them everything. And they went back and made a full report to their king. And so when the king came, he knew exactly what to target and what to wipe out and what to, and what to steal. So I think it has to do with the, the violation of that which is sacred. I'm not sure, Pastor Murray, if you wanted to, to comment on this as well. Uh, yeah, um, you know, a, a, lot, a lot of, uh, as we go through these things, um, items that stick out to me, the, the importance of them really point to, to how it affects us and, and how it affects our understanding of behavior today. And just, just adding to what, what you've said, uh, this goes back to the, the comments you made about the, the gentleman um, uh, wanting uh, donations to his PayPal account just haphazardly. It's important that we protect um, our uh, the blessings that God give us. God gives us, as in, in this case, Hezekiah um, was only interested in himself, and, and we can see that in how in God's reaction to him. Uh, and what often seems good 
um, on the surface um, uh, becomes when you when you dig when you dig just uh, uh, dig down just a little bit, we find out the, the true the true um, uh, uh, meanings behind it or the true true intent behind these sorts of things and why it's important to vet these things. And in Hezekiah's case, um, um, absence of context, it's hard to understand what he did, what that was so wrong here, but um, um, God knows what's in his heart, similar to the uh, what we find in Acts when the striking down of uh, Ananias and Sapphira um, cer certainly didn't understand what was so what was so wrong on the surface until you, you, you dig a little deeper. Right on. Very good. I think we have time for one last question here, and it's from Sister Belinda again. Isn't the persecution of the church part of Sunday worship? Historically, it certainly has been. That those faithful Christians, faithful Sabbath keepers, who would not uh, observe Sunday and continue to observe Sabbath, were horrendously persecuted. Absolutely 100%. But the persecution of the church is not exclusive to Sunday worship. All of these churches that we read about in Revelation 2 and 3, when John says, you know, there one beast is, there's another yet coming. All of these churches that he wrote to and that he was warning and communicating with, they were all wiped out by an empire that not only wiped them out, but wiped out everybody that worshiped on Sunday as well. You worship on Saturday, you worship on Sunday, all of them were completely destroyed. And they, they couldn't care less about Sunday worship. And they actually wiped out all of those churches very ruthlessly. So we mustn't get into this uh, paradigm that says the only persecution that will come upon us is going to come upon us from Sunday worshipers. When historically, that has been true. But what has also been true is this, this Arabian... Uh, just complete flood that came out of Arabia and completely bathed the Middle East in blood to the point today when you talk to anybody on the street and say, what's the religion of the Middle East? The last thing you'll hear is Christianity. And, and yet that, that should have been the first thing. Of course, Christianity came out of the Middle East. And all these nations in the Middle East and North Africa, the uh, MENA, Middle East and North Africa, they were all Christian. This was the heart of Christianity. And today, if you stop anybody and say, what's the religion in the Middle East and North Africa? Islam. And so it wasn't Sunday worship that brought that persecution. So let's just be careful of getting into this paradigm that says the only people that will persecute us are going to be Roman Catholics enforcing Sunday. I'm not sure, Pastor Murray, if you wanted to comment on that. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, look around uh, over the last uh, year or so here. Uh, you've got uh, the uh, Arthur Pavlovsky from Calgary. Uh, you've got the uh, church down in Elmer, Ontario, uh, quite close to the London area. Uh, um, Sunday keeping uh, congregations that have been thoroughly uh, persecuted for their stance on on the, the, the healthcare issues that we're facing these days and the vaccine and the closing down of churches in response to that. Uh, they've been far more persecuted than, than any Sabbatarian group these days that I know of. So yeah, I completely agree. Uh, we we historically that's been the case, uh, but uh, certainly not something that we can. Uh, if if we if we have that as our only focal point, we're going to miss some other things that we're supposed to right. keep a watch on. Right on, very very good, uh, Pastor Murray. Uh, deeply appreciate you, 
and uh, just uh, just our relationship, your support through the years, your insight into the scriptures. Certainly appreciate all the brethren, uh, wonderful questions, wonderful comments. And, and we must always remember, we are the body of Christ. It, it doesn't mean that we are just uh, these robots, this cult, where we must all think exactly the same things. Different parts of the body are going to be able to see different things, understand different things, and, and we need to come together in a spirit of love, in a pursuit of truth, and iron sharpens iron. And as these prophecies unfold, uh, if we're true to the scripture and we're watching and studying and praying, uh, God is going to reveal to us a, a more full understanding. Any final comments, brother, before we, we sign off? Uh, just, uh, you know, I thank you uh, back to yourself for um, all the hard work that you do uh, putting together these studies, uh, all of the, the uh, uh, sacrifice that you make uh, just personally uh, that have gone into this and sort of streamlining and, and uh, spearheading was the word I was looking for. The, the, the lineup online study uh, certainly has uh, uh, brought in a, a, a lot of uh, support from around, not just our local congregations, but from around the world. Uh, and uh, certainly thank you as well. Thank you as well for, for uh, your leadership here. Praise God. Wonderful. Jesus Christ is Lord. Brethren, thank you so much for your engagement, the wonderful questions and comments. Uh, God willing, please join us on Sabbath, and we look forward to talking with you again. Uh, good night, uh, Pastor Murray. Good night, brethren. God bless. Good night, Pastor Adrian.